Rachel Needle from Talking With Tech. And I'm Chris Bouguet from Talking With Tech. We have a podcast dedicated to augmentative and alternative communication, all things related to helping kids with complex communication needs. If you have a passion for helping people with language disabilities, this is the show for you. Each episode features an interview or a roundtable discussion on a topic related to augmentative communication and helping people with language disabilities. And we're really passionate about giving practical strategies to clinicians working in the field who are working with children or adults, anything related to AAC. So you can look us up on iTunes or you can find us on Facebook. We've got a group over there or check out our website at bit.ly slash TWT podcast. Please join our community of professionals that are working to ensure that everyone can say whatever they want to say, however they want to say it. The views and opinions expressed during this show do not necessarily reflect like the, the policy or position of any affiliated workplace or employer. The views and opinions of the show do not constitute recommendations for therapy. Please, Please contact, contact a licensed SLP for individual consult on your situation. Please listen carefully. What is communication? An essential behavior of life. We have the both blessing and responsibility of trying to foster another. It's transmitting a thought from one person to another. It's the strongest way for two people to convey information to each other. The back and forth between two people. Communication is a lifeline. It's just connection with other people. Connecting people in terms of ideas or thoughts or needs. Draws us out of ourselves, draws us into that relationship, you know, builds up our families. Without it, we'd be lost. Whatever it is that we do to express intent and achieve an impact. Communication is the ability to express your needs, wants, frustrations, and desires to anyone that you feel needs to have that information. Welcome to Speech Science episode number 130. I'm Matt Hot, joined as always by the guy in Philadelphia, Michael McLeod. How's it going, buddy? And the woman somewhere in Kansas, I don't actually know the city, Michelle Wintering. Hi, Matt. Hi, guys. It has been a week and a half since we've been on air, and we took off uh, the last week uh, just to uh, allow everyone their moments uh, for the election, but we are back on air, and we are excited because on today's show, we are going to talk about the link between dementia and diverse social connections. Uh, what to do during contentious IEPs. Of course, we're going to check in with the informed SLP. We also have our SS pod due process and the SS pod shout out. And of course, we also look at what Asha is doing with something good, I hope. But before we get into all of that, we want to hear from you. So make sure you head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. From there, you can find our phone number, 614-681-1798. Uh, you can text or phone call that one. Uh, you can email us, speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. We have a merchandise store, merchandise.speechsciencepodcast.com. And, of course, if you're on the uh, social medias, it's hashtag SSPod. We also have the discord.speechsciencepodcast.com. Uh, Guys, I feel like that intro gets longer and longer because we finally figured out how to market ourselves. Yeah, fair enough. All right. <laughs> you do a, you do a great job with it. So, I'm excited because in the past week, besides voting and taking 45 minutes to get into my voting booth area, um I've gone through uh, a ton of IEPs and ETRs. Uh Angie Merced uh said something 
in a Facebook post that has made me realize that maybe my 16 page ETR documents might be a bit too long and that I need to start looking at bullet points and cutting out the the narratives that I'm doing but I can't didn't do didn't we right tell now. you that a couple weeks ago I, I know but I'm trying <laughs> as kidding. I've had three back to back and parents are like how long is your your ETR and I'm like it's 16 pages and they're like the whole thing's 24 and I'm like speech is most important uh, but besides that it's been 80 degrees today so I got to mow the grass uh, on November uh, the 8th <laughs> beautiful it's, the weather has been amazing I can't tell if it's normal or like is this just the new normal like we're gonna have warm temperatures till Thanksgiving so because <laughs> global warming is real <laughs> you know for everything global warming does wrong melting the ice caps killing off crops increasing famine making things worse I did get to be outside in shorts and a t-shirt in November this is true Hey, Positives. It, it, it's helping with with restaurants and being able to get outside and be around people before it gets too cold to be able to do those things. Yeah, That's and especially true. with you know social distancing and all that. Mm-hmm. I would also say my husband and I were able to go on a date night last night for the first time, and I don't even know when because of COVID and life and moving and having a toddler. But um, we were sitting again. It was November seventh in the Midwest, which is typically cold. And we were sitting on a porch, a beautiful porch at a French restaurant, being able to enjoy mm-hmm. the evening weather, the warm evening weather. I, I worry. My mom and dad actually got me a really cool birthday Christmas gift that they just gave me. And uh, it's one of those portable propane space heaters. Oh. And I'm kind of worried, uh, you know, that I won't ever get to use it. Um, I think you'll get to use it. It's fine. Just make sure you keep it away from things. Don't start any fires. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. So, what has your guys' week and a half been like? It's been a it's been a very uh, very interesting week. We've had a, obviously a lot going on in the world this week um, in terms of speech. It's just you know um, really dealing with a lot of these rising rates of of COVID. Uh, now families are getting you know uh, with in private practice. You obviously you always give the option of in-person or teletherapy and parents tend to go for the in-person and you know just kind of get the full experience but now it's just uh you have we have to be extra careful now and obviously we take every precaution necessary but uh the rates we're seeing now are are very alarming so i I, well over uh like a certain amount per day and deaths per day it's it's getting bad like Mm -hmm. this is what all the doctors predicted that uh when the weather got cold again, things would get bad, and uh, it, that's exactly what we're seeing. Mm-hmm. Michelle, how's your week been? Week and a half been? Um, pretty good. You said how long did it take you for voting last week? Uh, it took me 45 minutes to get. I, I got there 10 minutes before the booth opened or the, mm-hmm. uh, the room opened. I was probably number 100 or 120 in line, and the line moved relatively well. Um, but yeah, it took about 40, 45 minutes from me getting in line at, I'm counting from 6.30, not the 10 minutes I got there early. But from 6.30, I was back to my car by uh, 7.15. That, I mean, I've heard some people had insane waits. I mm-hmm. I was anticipating a longer wait and I was able to go midday, like right before lunchtime. And I was in and out in 15 minutes. Nice. 
which was awesome. Wow. But I think that might be, you know, we're in a smaller town in, mm, in Kansas. But, uh, but yeah, and registering to vote, which I think I've told you guys before, when you move is a pain in the butt. So <laughs> because you have to unregister where you were registered before. So here's what I, here's my, my, I was talking to a buddy. I was actually talking to my daughter's godfather the other day. Why can't we vote wherever my phone can figure out the GPS location that I'm in and give me the seven day forecast based off of my geopolitical positioning in the world. But I can't go to another polling place in my city or state and tell them my address, and they can't pull out the right ballot digitally. Well, the states don't communicate, so that's the first. That's no, the I'm not saying problem. like go to another state. I'm just saying I want to go to the other side of town. You know, on yeah, my lunch that's break. true. That's true. Why yeah. do I? Why do I have to vote eight minutes from my house? Why can't I like I don't know anywhere in the state? Well, here's a question though. But you know, voting is done by county. So even worse, like, why can't I vote anywhere in my county? Okay. So in the county, I, I think that could be a legitimate question, but it mm -hmm. is done by county. So I feel like going to a different county because the counties probably don't communicate would be a challenge. I will, I will concede that, that, that argument. This, this vote, vote by mail is, uh, is the future. No doubt about it right yeah digital mm -hmm. or mail i think you're totally right but the states uh, like colorado the whole time i lived in colorado i only voted by mail they're 100 percent right. mail they don't do in-person voting they haven't in years listen if asha can figure out a way for us to to do our votes online for the asha president i'm pretty sure that if we increased it with money and security we could do the actual presidency <laughs> there you go Ugh. Head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. Hey, so let's do the SS Pod shout out. It's our opportunity to recognize somebody or something uh, doing something extraordinary in our field. Uh, and this week, we do have another uh, a somber uh, SS Pod shout out. It goes to Martin Addison, uh, the speech and language pathologist from Waldwick, New Jersey. He worked at St. Joseph University uh, Medical Center, where he specialized in the eval and treatment of dysphagia. Uh, he lost his life uh, due to complications from COVID. We will have the links uh, down in the, the show notes below. But, Mike, you brought the, you linked this. Uh, it's a very moving video uh, where they talk about stolen goodbyes from his wife, Karen. Yeah, I, uh, I follow a lot of doctors who work very closely with COVID patients who are on the front lines, these frontline heroes. And... Uh, a lot of them, you know, when you look at their tweets and you look at their response to their tweets, uh, it's a lot of people pushing conspiracy theories and claiming that COVID isn't real and they don't know any, anyone who's gotten it or anyone who's died. Um, and then this one doctor took it upon himself to share stories of, of, of those who have gotten it and have passed. Uh, and this man, how did we say his name again? Uh, Martin Addison. Martin Addison, and he wasn't too far from me. I believe he was in South Jersey. Uh, so he was a, a, a male SLP, just like Matt and I, of course. Uh, and to see that story, you know, the first thing that, that I saw was speech pathologist. And then I went down and I saw his story, and I, it's just heartbreaking. They, they interview his, his, his wife, his, his, uh, his wife, and he had 
just had two young daughters, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's a heartbreaking story. And she tells she talks about now being in a pandemic, uh, raising two girls alone. Um, it's it, it's just terrible. And it, it's great that his story is being told. And you know we obviously it's it's a privilege for us to be able to share his story on our podcast. And it's definitely something that everyone should check out and, uh, and, and, you know, all of our listeners and the entire speech pathology community should, should, should know this man's name and know his story. We will have that link down in the show notes below. If you, uh, if you have an SS pod shout out, somebody you want to recognize for going above and beyond in our field, hashtag it up, hashtag SS pod shout out on the flip side, the SS pod due process is our opportunity to discuss a topic that you bring to the table about something you don't like, uh, something you have a question about, or something that is just stuck in your craw and you want public opinion to determine if you're right, wrong, or uh, indifferent. This week, uh, we have an anonymous, uh, another anonymous uh, SS pod due process, and they write in asking, quote, why do we have to do progress reports and quarterly reports for every student on our caseload? And this is a student? Uh, no, just an, S- uh, just an SLP. Quarter- What's the question? Why do we have to do progress reports and quarterly reports? I'm assuming they're in schools. So progress reports and quarterly reports on our students on our caseloads. Well, the first answer for that is because they have an IEP. And <laughs> so <laughs> part of the IEP is, you know, IEPs are quite possibly the most data-driven thing in our entire field. And and IEPs are not just your basic student plan. They are federally mandated plans for special education and speech therapy. So obviously IEPs can be a major pain in the ass for speech therapists, but they're one of the main reasons why many of us are employed. Many of us have caseloads and uh, a lot of good can come from them. Uh, obviously the, the typical IEP meetings, which we'll get to later, uh, can be contentious and you know there's a lot wrong with the system and a lot that can be improved but in terms of doing reports it's just you know um, I've, I've never been big on these big lengthy like perfectly written progress reports and quarterly reports they you know, came to speech yeah yeah exactly put in put in put in the data talk about what progress is being made what what treatments you're using what's working, what's not working, what you're seeing, what you're going to continue to do. Uh, and it's, it's an incredibly important thing in the school system. And in, the, in so many other areas, sessions can be observed or sessions can be, uh, you know, parents are much more intimately involved. In the school system, it's the SLP and the student probably in a closet somewhere. And nobody else, <laughs> and nobody else is... Nobody else is seeing it. So the, these, these progress reports are, are actually pretty crucial to the data of the IEP. Yeah. Well, and I think you, what you just hit on there, Mike, is what my first thought is, having been in the schools, that I remember being incredibly tired of doing. I felt like every couple of weeks I was doing some sort of progress note or report. But um, if you stick to the data for those, that's what... I think IEP as well as parents and staff really want to see is that there is change happening or if there isn't, okay, what do we need to adjust? 
So no, and that makes sense. And Michelle, on on our <coughs> side, I had to hide your video because your audio went wonky there for half a second. Okay, but thanks. I can also see where they're coming from because working in the schools, I did this. I did this. Uh, I did this idea oh, about three years ago. I had ninety kids on my caseload. And by the end of the year, I had to do 3,960 different documentations on my 90 kids in the caseload. And the idea behind progress reports and quarterly reports, uh, it, that's going to also determine, I know here in Ohio, we have to report on our students as often as a typical student does. So if your typical students have progress reports, then guaranteed special education is going to have progress reports. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, but it is hard. It is hard to keep up with those and feel like you're staying on top of things in the school. I, I will say this. I moved to a school that does not do progress reports. Okay. So what and do you guys do? For, I'm sorry. How, how often do you do them? What's the, the breakdown? quarterly, okay. the quarterly report cards. Um, so it's only progress reports if a student is, I guess, failing or not doing well in a class. And I have to say that on the paperwork side, it has cut down on some very silly progress reports. The the student in five opportunities was taking a test on two of those opportunities and I was unable to see them. So I have three data points for this progress report. I will say I have eliminated those reports and my day has gone a little bit better. But I mean, if you eliminate progress reports, if your school district can eliminate progress reports, if you have a caseload of 90, that's 360 less reports a year you have to write. I like your wow. quick math on that. Mm. Yeah, that's impressive. Yeah, so that I, I knew that because that was what I brought to the board at my old school district, and they said, yeah, no, we don't care. So. Okay. Womp, womp, womp. So that's why we do progress reports and uh, quarterly reports, probably because your school district makes you. So if you have a due process that you want to bring to the table, hashtag it up, hashtag SSPod due process. All right, so our first article of the day is coming from MigraineNews.com, but don't let that uh, weird website throw your brain off. Uh, it's actually from a study from UNSW out in Sydney, Australia. But basically, they believe there is a two-way influence between cognition and social connection outside the home. And the greater the social diversity, the better your brain does in cognition. But on the flip side, the better your brain does in cognition, the more likely you are to have greater social diversity. So they are... Correlated? Yeah, correlated. For they it. sure are. Yeah. So, Mike, the executive function guy, why mm -hmm. is diversity, especially in social communication, so important to the brain? Well, that's that is an excellent question, and this is something I feel like I talk about on a daily okay. basis sometimes. <laughs> uh, so, so the number one thing with executive functioning is the, the kids with poor executive functions tend to have what is known as the fixed mindset which causes them to have unbelievably small comfort zones. So a hallmark of executive dysfunction or ADHD is a major pushback or a major fear of doing new things. Uh, and uh, basically two or three things in your comfort zone are your preferred tasks. And this is most often video games, phone, technology, things like that. And everything besides that is a non-preferred task. 
So you see these kids with executive functioning that end up doing the same two, three, four, five things every single day without ever talking to someone new, doing something new, trying something new. They find one little routine and they stick to it. Um, and this is one of the major uh, things that delays progress. And one of the number one things I always talk to families about is that the frontal lobe of the brain, we now know this from the research done by the Harvard Center of the Developing Child, is that, that the prefrontal cortex, the frontal lobe of the brain, develops due to meaningful experiences, varied experiences, and interpersonal relationships. So the more people you're able to meet, build relationships with, uh, learn their point of view, learn their experiences, learn their differences, learn your likes and dislikes, things you have alike, things you don't have alike, the more varied experiences you have, the more that you're able to learn to try a new activity, be not so good at it the first couple of times you try it and then gain competence and then gain confidence. Uh, and, and that's really what builds the skills. You know, you can take the, you can take the medication, which is very evidence-based. The therapy is very evidence-based, but one of the most important things is to get out there meet new people and try new things. I know we've I talked love about the it. meaning. Oh, sorry, about sorry the three things you said, the meaningful connections, the diverse. Can you say those again, Mike? Cause I just think that uh, those really mm -hmm. hit on what, what this article talks about too. Uh, yeah, uh, meaningful, uh, meaningful experiences, varied experiences, mm -hmm. and interpersonal relationships. Yeah, so that, I mean, that right there is summarizing, is, I guess, supporting what this article is saying, too, about even later in life, that those meaningful relationships, the diversity of the relationships and interactions, and um, is so important for cognitive skills. I think that also, oh, <clears throat> Excuse me, my voice almost went out there. Um, I think that also goes with the importance that we serve uh, as therapists, especially working with cognition and dementia uh, in older adults, is not pushing senior centers, but talking about how important they are. Um, I've been doing home health care since COVID, uh, the COVID outbreak, even before that, but even during it. And I've noticed that some of my patients that are used to going out, that are no longer going out with their friends, are noticing a decline from from being from being kind of in their bubble. Mm -hmm. um, and I want to say that I need to recognize my workplace um, because what they've tried to do all summer is socially distant outings for for folks. So while the cafeteria was closed, they brought in multiple food trucks. Nice. So that way, the, the the citizens that live on campus had the opportunity to still see their friends and interact with new people that they don't see. Uh, they've done socially distant wine tastings um, outside. Uh, they had axe throwing uh, for folks to try to get up there and do. Uh, you know, it's different because of the COVID, but it, it's so important that I'm seeing with adults that the adults that have the biggest social support system are usually the ones that I work with for the, the least amount of time. And I go, of course, I know that's just a, a small sample cycle or sample size. But I think that's one case study where you're talking about that making a mm -hmm. difference. Mm -hmm. So how do we, 
I mean, am I wrong in trying to say that we should push our patients to stop living alone and move into those of us that work with adult patients? I almost want to say this gives more reason to help try to push our patients into more shared living areas. I think it depends on the patient because you're going to talk about you're going to talk about personality differences there, too, because you can get those interactions in different ways, even if you're not living with. Mm-hmm. a whole group of people if you have family that's able to come visit or close by or you have neighbors that you interact with on a daily basis or you have a true, true. um you know your your card club or whatever it is that you go to <laughs> as you get older and Canasta. i mean i think that we have to take into account the differences between different people so i'm not going to say that i would ever push everyone to go like live in community basically (laughs) but um, reminding them that that community piece is so significant for their cognitive and social and mental and physical well-being how are you uh how are you diversifying diversifying your patient or your students social uh interactions let us know podcast or speech science podcast.com speech science podcast at gmail.com hashtag sspod or phone call or text 614-681-1798 all righty our second article this one's coming from the asha leader uh and they talk about oh where to go how to handle <laughs> contentious challenging IEP meetings and and quickly I'm going to go through their seven seven rules that they talk about their meeting rules and I figured maybe this will be an opportunity we can talk about ways that we've handled uh, contentious IEP meetings but basically they say number one always focus on the needs of the student Two, communicate clearly and share their views willingly three listen carefully Four, be open to ideas and respect Uh, Number five, ask and welcome questions for clarification. Six, recall that everything said is confidential. Uh, And number seven, honor time limits and stay on task. Gosh, that one sounds great because I've been in so many IEP meetings that took way too long. (laughs) Oh, so I've never been in a meeting like this before until the last couple of years. And I will say that if you're not used to somebody being a timekeeper, it feels very weird and very uh, angry or short or demeaning, I guess. if I don't know how you want to put it, but they... If that's not um, your norm, yeah. Right, if okay. that's not your norm, where you're used to being like, oh, an IEP meeting might take three hours and I'm going to just block off this time. Um, oh my gosh, guys. Having somebody say, listen, we've only got 60 minutes and I hear what you're saying. Let's write down that question. And if we have time at the end of the meeting, let's come back to it. If not, let's set another date. And I can't tell you how many more IEP meetings I look forward to going to now. And also how much smoother they work because even parents identify that. And they say, this may not be for this meeting, but I want it in the notes that we need to talk about X, Y, or Z. Mm -hmm. It is wonderful. I think that is such a smart way to do it. I sat in way too many meetings that took hours. And and I think for the expectation for staff as well as staff who are often salary staff. So now you're, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it's the other duties as assigned piece. Um, or if you're paying people per hour to be there, that should also be taken into account. 
um, for many reasons. And then also for parents scheduling who have other children, who have sports, who have jobs themselves to be able to say, I know I can block two hours and that covers this IEP. And if we need to schedule another time, we will. Yeah, and, 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 and this is just the the time limit piece we're talking about here. You know, there's there's so many more things that make an IEP meeting contentious. Mm-hmm. And besides it going long, uh, you know, we're talking about some very heated discussions that can take place. Uh, we, we know that families can hire advocates and lawyers to come into the meeting where every single thing you do is going to be questioned. Uh, and this is really, you know, this is really a great article that you probably become more uh, of, a, of a big deal at the graduate level. Uh, I think preparing graduate students for IEP meetings is almost just as important as, pre- as preparing them for therapy itself. Uh, in that school-age class that we all take, in learning about IEP meetings and how to, you know, how to make, I- make IEP-compliant goals and how to deal with these behaviors and how to you know, basically follow everything that's outlined in this article uh, is something that yeah, I, I think the vast majority of SLPs have been in these situations, mm-hmm. and it's it, it, it can be you know it, it can this this could be one of the most stressful things ever. You know, you can have a massive caseload and have the treatment plan and have the data collect, and then you have to go sit in an IEP when you're missing sessions that you have to make up later, and then and, and you can really be disrespected in these meetings. And I will say this, I think what goes a long, long way to make contentious IEP meetings less contentious is strong support from your superiors. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, and like, if a parent attacks what you say, or uh, a principal doesn't support you, or a boss doesn't support you, like your your doa you're dead on arrival in that iep meeting i'm i there's no other way to, to coat that uh i can't believe i was in the field for nine years before i had a principal look at me in a meeting after a parent said like question something and i remember the principal principal misty said matt you're the communication expert what do you think of what mom is asking about and it was just like, oh, my gosh, in nine years, I had never heard that phrase come from a principal. And it just immediately it meant that whatever I said had weight. But if she would have looked at me and said, I don't know, do you think that's important while you're playing cards with your students? Like, there's such a powerful thing if you have contentious IEP meetings, if you don't have strong, strong leadership support get out of that district man yeah i i could i, I could <laughs> i'm not, advocating I, everyone to quit <laughs> i cannot agree more and th- and this is something that uh supervisors and uh school leadership need to understand and need to take more seriously uh if anyone is going to be attacked or disrespected by the parent it's going to be the therapist themselves because sometimes because the, sometimes the therapist has to be the bad messenger Sometimes the therapist has to let the parent know your kid has behaviors, your kid's not making progress, your kid needs to use an AAC because I don't think he's going to be verbal. Uh, you know, there's so many things that SLPs have to do that, that fall under our responsibility that cause some contentiousness. 
But if you have uh, a, a special ed supervisor, a principal, a superintendent, whoever it may be, who's in that meeting that has your back, it makes all the difference. And again, though, going back to the due process question about progress reports and quarterlies, if you don't have the data going into a contentious IEP, you are SOL. Yeah, Completely I mean, agree. you've got to back that up. Yeah. And just as you said, having a supervisor who can possibly be in that meeting with you, if you're mm -hmm. anticipating it to be contentious or super stressful for the parent, for a teacher, for the child, if they're of an age to be there, um, is huge. You need that support and you need that data. I remember I took over an IEP for some for another SLP and I looked at their progress reports and they were very shaky at best. So when I had to go in, I had to, you know, the parent I knew was contentious. The goal I knew was preposterous, but I didn't have the data to support either one. And I was very young in my career. I want to say in my first three or four years. And it felt like I had just run straight into a buzzsaw. Like legit. And I learned at that point, like, Hey, even if you inherit a terrible goal, you gotta, you gotta collect that data so that when you go into that IEP meeting, you can stand tall and, and defend your thought process. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Is there an IEP meeting either one of y'all remember without going into too much details that felt like the worst IEP meeting Definitely. you've ever been involved in? I remember my, it's everyone that has a lawyer. I hate to say it. Of like, course it is. It's like, I remember a, a couple school districts ago, this lawyer was not a family lawyer, was not an education lawyer. And every time you spoke, he would question what that word meant. <laughs> so you might say, I gave the student the expressive uh, one word picture vocabulary and they got a word semantically correct but they use the wrong word to describe so basically they call it a a, a, a peer a, a a bridge a half a bridge and you're like oh that's semantically i could see where they're coming from not correct but i could see it and he was like could you tell me the definition of semantics and i'm like oh let me google it for you <laughs> that was the the and that i had to deal with that guy for like four and a half years I was once in a meeting where uh, we were talking about a student who was basically nonverbal uh, and parents were concerned about social and the, uh, the advocate was pushing for the school SLP to administer the pragmatic language portion of the castle. Uh, and yeah, and, all, and, like, and everybody was just like, that is not an appropriate test for this student. That's going to be a total waste of time. Mm -hmm. And they just would not accept it. You have to do the castle. You have to do the castle. It's just like, you know, these, these lawyers come in and, you know, they're, they're lawyers and everyone respects them because they're, because they're a job title. But as Matt said before, we are the communication experts. I don't care if they're lawyers. I don't care how much, how much they make per year. We are the masters when it comes to speech and language. Michelle, any major meetings that kind of stick out to you? or? Um, I mean, it's been a little while since I've been in the schools, but I mean, I can think of some specific ones that were, were hard or challenging. 
and um, having a lawyer present was one. <laughs> having an advocate, um, not not present in person, it was really an advocate over a, um, an audio presence who wasn't in person because it, um, it, and I know people are dealing with that more and more today, but uh, mm -hmm. it was really challenging at the time um, to have someone um, really fired up, I guess, on an audio, and with an audio presence and not physically present in the room. I am all for advocates, by the way. I am I too, like... and I know some that I've worked with and mm -hmm. uh, and learned from. But uh, but if it, just things that can make it a oh, more yeah. dynamic, more challenging IEP. And if you get an advocate that doesn't know what they're doing, hmm. that I think is where the the stress level of the meeting goes through the roof. Like I feel like parents already don't know what they don't know in IEP meetings. And we need to do a better job of educating them. But mm -hmm. then if they get an advocate that they don't know what's going on, it just feels I've, I can't tell you in my old districts how many parents I've had bring their like sister or brother along who had a child on an IEP years ago okay. as their advocate. Mm, okay. Like, like they, right? uh, which I'm, I'm all about that. If they want a family member present with them, like to have a support person on their end, but I wouldn't call that person the, uh, you know, the special education advocate. Yeah, they called themselves an advocate, and we were like, "Ooh, not, not quite what I was thinking." Mm -hmm. So, but it, it can be hard because, mm -hmm. um, I mean, I'll I'll think of another example of an IEP and working with a lot of students who are deaf and hard of hearing. Um, I, I don't want to say contentious, but emotional meetings of as a kid was getting older, trying to determine the best um you know l1 for them academically mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. whether that was american sign language or um an aac device or uh spoken english you know and whether they should stay in a school for the deaf or be in a mainstream school so some of those conversations were emotional but i wouldn't say contentious but it's 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 the tough hard conversations that you're having as kids get older in special education I will say this, and this is the first time I'm bringing it up truly on air. My daughter, we need to, to basically work on the hearing side with her, and, and she's about a month and a half old. And we're working with Help Me Grow. And I spoke with the person on Help Me Grow on the phone for 15 minutes and was so fired up, I was ready to go contact a lawyer to represent me in the next meeting. Really? Because they said that they don't have a hearing specialist, but they could get us a developmental specialist. Hmm. Well, that's... And I said, cool, but my problem is she can't hear. And also, what and do I they need... mean by hearing specialist? Like, what certification is that? There's something here that it's like a teacher for the deaf and hard of hearing. Okay, so a teacher whatever. of the deaf, yeah. a TOD. Got yeah, it. Yeah. Okay. But um, they were like, we only have one in the county. And I was like, cool then they need to come see my and, daughter <laughs> and they're like well we have other speech and language pathologists and i was like cool have they worked with deaf and hard of hearing because i'm an slp and i think i've had three in my 10 years i would not classify myself as a slp that can work with deaf and hard of hearing anybody and she was like well we have one but she couldn't be assigned to you she would have to be on a rotation and i'm like you're not giving me anything 
that would help my family. Mm -hmm. So I get though, man, from a parent side, I've been in this thing for five weeks and I'm already fired up. Yep. Yeah. And I guess that's why I say that IEP meetings can be very, Mm -hmm. um, draining, not just for the therapist, but for the families, especially. So we want to know about your most contentious IEP meetings. Remember HIPAA, remember FERPA. Hit us up, speechsciencepodcast.com, email speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com, or hashtag SSPod. Phone calls and texts is always welcome, 614-681-1798. Guys, I am so excited for this interview. I sat down with Hillary Cooper. She runs the Dysphagia Outreach Project. Do you guys know what the Dysphagia Outreach Project is? I do not. So... It is the most wonderful thing, and I'm not just saying it because Hillary was on the show, uh, but what they do is if you work with a patient or a family or a student on dysphagia and they cannot afford the modified cups, the modified silverware, the thickener, uh, like the, the bullets to, to puree foods, the, the Dysphagia Outreach Project will send it to your client, to your family member, to your student, 100% free. That's amazing. I need to look this wow. organization up. Right. Yeah. And they've got their Giving Tuesday on December 1st. So uh, Hillary Cooper and I, uh, we sat down, talked about the Dysphagia Outreach Project, talked a little bit about bourbon, and of course, the December one. Uh, giving Tuesday. So that's coming up after the break. Also, we're going to touch on, uh, we're going to hear from the informed SLP, and then we're going to do our news segment and get out of here. So you're listening to Speech Science. Hi, I'm Mei-Ling Chan. And I'm Martin Sibley. And we are the hosts of the Exceptional Leaders Podcast, where we spotlight high-profile topics and amazing people who are changing the worldview on disability. Even though we are oceans apart, we are bringing people from all over the world together to discuss inclusion, advocacy, accessibility, and real-life journeys. So listen to the Exceptional Leaders Podcast to hear the voices and stories from amazing changemakers and be inspired to make a real difference in the world. This is the story of a very special woman. Just a few knew about her superpowers. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Speech Science. I'm Matt Hunt. How many times have you been working with a dysphagia patient or a dysphagia patient's family and you make the suggestion for use of a thickening agent or tell them to go get a grinder uh, to, to grind their foods or to work on purees? Well, and that family looks at you and says, oh, we just can't afford that. Our hearts break as therapists because we're asking them to make the decision between taking on a financial burden or improving their quality of life. And sometimes we don't know what to do. Hillary Cooper, a speech and language pathologist, saw that need. And just like in the movie Robots, she saw a need and filled a need and created the Dysphagia Outreach Project. Hillary Cooper, welcome to Speech Science. Hello. So happy to be here. And have you ever seen the movie Robots that I just used in a random uh, uh, introduction? I have kids, so okay. yes. Yes, it's Mel Brooks. <laughs> I love that. See a need, fill a need. 
And I love the idea of the dysphagia outreach project. It was because of you that I saw this, even just like saw the website started going through some stuff. Am I right? The idea is to help link up families or patients with the stuff they need based off of the suggestions we make in their homes or their, their outpatient or inpatient? Absolutely. So where the Dysphagia Outreach Project started was I had that same exact situation come up time and time again, where, you know, primarily it was in the home health setting where I was in their homes and it was really brought to my attention more um, prevalently than, you know, an outpatient. It's easy to say, oh, get this, this, and this, and then send them out the door. But when you're in their home, it becomes a lot more intimate and you're aware of the the lack in some patients. Um you know, situations. So I kept making recommendations for either thickeners or, you know, maybe we should chop our foods for safety and things. And they'd look at me like I had three heads because they were like, well, I can't afford to buy that. So I did what so many of us do. And I went to the store and picked up something and brought it with me. Um, the next time I saw that patient and I spent so much money on blenders and food choppers and thickeners and all kinds of different things, um, EMSTs and breathers and therapy devices, cups, Proval cups. I can't tell you how many times I had to buy those um, for our patients. And the whole time I was thinking, I wish there was like some sort of organization, like a food bank or something that we could reach out to as clinicians when our patients, when we see these patients who kind of fall between the cracks. And so I kind of sat on the idea for a little bit because I thought it was just way too big for me. And then a few years later, I just happened to be in the right group of um, amazing empowered clinicians. And I said, you know, I have this idea. Is it, a, is it a dumb idea or is it a good idea? And they were like, oh my gosh, it's a brilliant idea. And a whole bunch of people jumped on board and we um, had a several of our core board members were actually part of that um, retreat. And you know, that's, that was gosh, February of 2019. So it's almost two years ago. I, I love how you said it, it like a food bank for SLPs, because that's my immediate thought when I think of this. And it's funny that you said you thought about it in home care, because I do home care. And just this week, I was talking to a patient. And they came to me or, you know, they said, Hey, we get meals on wheels, we don't even get to decide the food we're buying and you're telling me that I've got to puree it. And, and, Absolutely. and that's a heartbreaking moment. So how did you go from, and I know you said that it happened at the retreat and, and, and I think I know some of the folks that were around on your retreat, cause they are the go-to people, I think in dysphagia therapy, at least on social media. And um, how did you go from, Hey, why doesn't this exist to Holy cow, this is existing what did I get myself into? <laughs> so <laughs> I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, I'm one of those people that like once I, I guess there's like a whole lot of stubbornness in me. Like once I set my mind to doing something, then I like to look for solutions versus excuses. And, you know, um, I have had a lot of wonderful mentors. Teresa Richard was one of my mentors and she would always tell me, um, well, if you're not going to do it, who's going to do it? And so I wonderful with that motivation, isn't she? And she was always there to like, sort of, you know, smack me on my rear end to keep me (laughs) moving forward. And, and I, like you said, I, I, I'm very fortunate to know so many amazing clinicians who, who have skills that, you know, help us to, to have 
created this organization. So when what kept me from doing it originally was thinking that it was too big for me, and I, I have just proven that absolutely right. But when you're surrounded by the right people at the right time with the right motivation and a really good cause to rally behind, it's actually been kind of easy. It's been a lot of work, but that hasn't been... I mean, the, the, it's been a very organic sort of natural growth and it's just sort of happened because of the people that um, we've brought in. So have you ever ran an organization before this? I ran my, my business, okay, but okay, not okay. ever. <laughs> no, I never ran a nonprofit. And so okay. the learning curve for me was pretty steep. And I do ask myself all the time, oh my gosh, am I the right person to be running this organization? And what I've come to learn, and this is like a little nugget for anyone who's listening who might have big, big dreams, is you may not necessarily have the skills right now, but if you have the vision and the motivation and the determination, then the skills will find themselves, you know, put in their place eventually. It's easy to acquire skills. It's almost impossible to acquire motivation and a vision. So my whole philosophy is, I, you know, as long as I have this vision of what we can do as a community and the ability to bring people in, then I'm going to keep steering this ship. And if I lose that, then we'll bring someone in better than me. <laughs> I, I, I love that quote that you just said, that it's easy to build skills, but it's not easy to build motivation. And that is such a, a true statement. I mean, you've worked in home care. There is a, I've said this to other people, I, I work in schools and I work in home care. And I love working in home care because it's like owning my own private practice without having to have insurance and without having to go find patients. Somebody else does all that and I get to do the other stuff. But you have to be self-motivated to get out of your car on time, to walk into their house, stay 35 to 45 minutes, and then come back. Like, I can't tell you how many nurses and and home health aides that have dropped out of home health care because they couldn't get out of their car on time because it's a tough job. It I'm is. not, I'm not surprised that you had the motivation to, to, to kickstart this. So we're coming up on two years, I believe you said, or did we just pass two years? So from the speaking it out loud mm -hmm. in February, 2019 <laughs> to where we are now, we're about a little bit about a year and a half, almost two years. So we're, we're kind of pushing that two year mark. But um, where we've come in that time has just exceeded, you know, I have big goals. I have big dreams. That's another Teresa thing um, that she instilled into my head is to think big and to dream big. And this organization has just exceeded any of the expectations that I had for it and continues to on a daily basis. And there's times when I take a step back and I'm like, holy cow, look at what we're doing. <laughs> we're, we're really impacting people's lives. And this little, you know, if I had let myself doubt stop us from doing that or stop me from saying it out loud, then these are lives and, and families that have been changed by this organization that would not have been helped otherwise. And it just, every once in a while, the reality of it hits me. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. <laughs> I think out of all the things I've done professionally, this is my favorite and I don't even get paid. <laughs> isn't the free stuff sometimes the most rewarding it really is and you know i think it just goes to show i i tell all of our volunteers that we pay you by filling your cup your your um metaphorical cup and if we're not filling your cup then that's really crappy pay <laughs> and so we want to make sure that we're filling your cup so that you enjoy what you're doing as a volunteer and part of this organization because we can't pay you money 
because we want all that money to go to help our recipients. So, you know, everything that I do, it just, it, it's what keeps me going when 2020, I have the 2020s. Oh my, right. <laughs> Case of the 2020s. And, you know, I feel like really stressed and anxious about everything else. And then I, I just take a moment to go through our recipient spreadsheet or our database. And I'm like, oh my gosh, each one of these lines is a family that we just took the hugest burden off of them and it's a game changer. So how does that work? So first I want to know how it's how like what you, how it started but then also like the 10,000 foot view. How does that work with matching up recipients? So I'm guessing when it first started was it families that you were working with or did you go hey cuz you're down in Louisiana, hey Louisiana we have this option cuz I I I'm guessing you probably didn't go hey everyone in the United States this is a thing or, or did you, how did it well, start? You know, it, it started at first with a lot of word of mouth. Okay. And, you know, I have to say, I have to give thanks to our, um, our product sponsors. So simply thick has been on board since before day one, since it was like a little apple in my eye. Um, <laughs> John Holohan was like, we're in. So, you know, they've been tremendously amazing. And then um, Parapharmatech that makes gel mix and Purithic. They're just constantly just just so generous. And, you know, we don't even have to ask them for product. They're like, hey, do you need product? Do you need us to send you anything? What do you need? How can Aww, we help you better? That's so great. And so because we have Simply Thick and we have Parapharmatech, those are our two biggest product sponsors. We've had Eat Bar send us things. We've had um, uh, Nutribullet send us things, you know, just all of these. And then just the SLP community, we, we put out a request for, um, oral care supplies because all of our packages come with oral care supplies because we know the three pillars of pneumonia is so important. So, you know, we're educating our recipients on this and we're sending them toothbrushes and toothpaste and they get a new toothbrush every time so that we're using oh, clean wow. toothbrushes. And so we put out an ask in the SLP community, you guys, like, like, I, it was like Christmas. I came into my office and there was just boxes everywhere. And I was like, what is this? And it was like honey bear cups and maroon spoons and, oh, and wow. pediatric toothpaste and pediatric toothbrushes and adult toothbrushes. And it was just, you know, so the SLP community has really kind of come together to be um, a big sponsor in its own. So we have all of that that's been given to us. And that gives us, has given us from almost day one, the ability to, to help more people than we would have if we had to raise the money to buy the product. So um, because of that, it's, it's helped us. So we, yeah, we, we did kind of jump out in social media and say, here's this thing. <laughs> do you need any, do you know anyone who needs help? Because one of the things that I hate more than anything is throwing away product because it expires on my shelf. Like that's one I of the few things that. that makes me mad. I, uh, I worked, I think it had that, that program where you could sign up and they'll send you the free samples or whatnot. Mm -hmm. And they send it to you and they send you cases of the stuff. Mm -hmm. And you know, as well as I do in home care, I may have 15 dysphagia patients. And then when they're all discharged, I may not have another dysphagia patient for nine months. I just got mm -hmm. my first dysphagia patient for the first time since I want to say before COVID. And uh, in, you know, in July or September, my wife and I were going through or July or August, whatever the month was, everything's schmears day is what I was told this entire year has been, Yeah. but was going through and I went, oh my gosh, this all expired in the spring. And mm -hmm. I just chucked out legit three cases of honey thick and nectar thick 
trial trial jar. So yeah, and that, that was so heartbreaking. What we're encouraging, we don't accept cornstarch thickener. That's a whole other soapbox. Um, but we don't <laughs> accept cornstarch thickeners um, or modified food starches. But anything that's xanthan gum or um, carabine, like the um, gel mix and pure thick or carabine and locust bean gum. So we accept those. Um, but any of the gels, the powders, anything like that. If, if any of you guys who are listening and you have a whole case of it that someone sent you, I know that Thicket has the Thicket Clear and that's um, wonderful. And, you know, there's a clear dysphagia and there's all these different brands. There's so many different brands and they have great products. Um, send them on to us. <laughs> we'll take them and we'll find a good home for them. I and wish I would have known that before they expired. <laughs> yeah, our, our recipients are so thankful. I just, I spoke to one on the phone um, yesterday and you know the what they tell me is the, that they become um, they get so used to us helping them that they they become dependent on it. They they're like, oh my gosh, okay, whew, I don't have to worry about paying my electric bill because my child's on thickener, <laughs> and it, it, it is such a relief to them that we're providing this service. And you know, it's because of the SLP community that has jumped on board. So I don't know of many people who have heard of what we're doing and said, mm, that's a really terrible idea. <laughs> well, I think it's such a, such a, and obviously I'm having you on the show. So obviously I like the idea, but like, I, I love it because it's so easy for us to sit in the clinician chair and give out orders. And, and it's easy that we forget sometimes that we need to balance quality of life and quantity of life. Absolutely. And, and sometimes that's hard when you're telling a patient, Hey, you know, and this is just the regular dysphagia, the guy that's like, or the dude that's like, I love eating my steaks and I am not going to puree them. I'm not going to ground them up. I will let them get stuck, but I enjoy it with my glass of Merlot and you're not going to do anything. And that's a tough quality of life conversation. Mm -hmm. But then when you have the, the family that says, you know what? I look at food as just fuel. I don't care how it tastes, but I can't afford what you're telling me. And we sit there in the clinician chair going, oh, I'll see what samples I can get you. Yeah. Like, that's why I love this whole, this whole outreach project. Like, this is wonderful. So it, it is, you know, literally what you just said. I think that sometimes as clinicians, um, we, we almost put on blinders mm -hmm. to, we, we look at, but the aspiration, that's a whole other soapbox. Um, <laughs> and, and so we, we think, oh gosh, they're aspirating. They have to be on thick and liquids, which is literally, we could do an entire episode talking about that. And I think you have. <laughs> and you're more than welcome to come back on a different one and we can chit chat because I want to bend your ear about cornstarch because I, after the air, I don't know what the deal is. So I would love to talk. I'm actually writing like a big long course anyway. So yes, we yes. could talk about the thickeners. I learned in this process, I learned more about rheology, which is the, the um, science of like viscosity of different oh, consistencies. Okay. So rheology, the measurement of shear rates and things of liquids. Yeah. And I learned more about EVP behind thickeners than I ever <laughs> thought I was going to have to learn. So aside from learning how to run a nonprofit, I also learned, and I am continuing to learn so much about thickeners and what it is that we're, we are putting into our patients and our recipients. So um, that's why one of the reasons why I decided not to take the modified food starch. No, that but, makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So um, yes, I, I, I just love everything that we're doing. I think that it really does um, change their, their lives to be able to give them 
not just a thickener that will put a mm -hmm. band-aid on the situation, but you know, one that really helps them achieve their best quality of life taste wise so, and, and all of that. So do you guys help a patient out the first time or is it a continuous as they need it? Is there it a depends. time limit on patients or? So there's not a time limit. Um, all of our recipients. So if you are out there listening and you're like, I can think of like three people, three patients who need this. They go to our website, they apply on our website. It, we created the application um, and have revamped it a few times now so that it can be completed from a smartphone. That's wonderful. So um, everything, cause we had, we realized that not everyone has a printer, not everyone has a fax machine and all of that. So we really, really pared it down to um, be able to be completed on a cell phone in about 15 minutes. So it requires, you know, some, they can take pictures with the uh, application app of some various medical paperwork um, oh, wonderful. and things in, right in the application. And so they would file the application. Once they go into our system, you know, we, we have um, Maggie Doniker is our operations specialist. She reviews their application and then sometimes reaches out to them and just asks for clarification about things. And then from there, we we see, is it a one-time need? So we have had a bunch of different recipients ask us, you know, my insurance will cover it, but it's going to take a couple of months until they're able to get that to go through consistently. Can we lean on you guys for just a little bit while we get that process going? And 100%, we're here to oh, help them out. that's a cool idea. We had um, some situations that happened where families had a temporary loss of income because of COVID. And I know that that's a, a very big problem in the economy right now. And a lot of our recipients, um, we had a whole cluster of them over the summer when there were so many shutdowns and everything where we just had a lot of people ask for product during um, temporary unemployment, which is a hardship. So yes, we will cover them in hardship, even if though they may not qualify otherwise um, financially. If they can demonstrate a financial need or a hardship, then we will absolutely um, support them. And we have a solid group of our recipients who are monthly or every two months um, recipients. And so they're the recurring individuals. And those, um, I actually have, I've gathered some interesting, we're, we're doing like sort of a year in review, look back. And I've gathered some interesting statistics cool. about um, our, our recipients. And it's funny because when we started this, you know, I come from adult dysphagia land. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So when, when I, when I thought of this and when we started putting it together, we thought hundred percent, it was going to be adults asking for product you know, probably a 90% adult, so the occasional baby. What we found is that 81% of our recipients are pediatric. Oh. So 81% of the people who are asking us for help are pediatric. And even further, um, of those pediatric recipients, 91% are under age five, and then 60% are under age two. So the majority of the recipients that we're helping out are babies. So Why? yes. And I think because insurance doesn't cover it. Mm, and when yeah. you have a special needs child, this is what gets me about our, our healthcare system. And again, I could go on a huge soapbox here. <laughs> our, our insurance companies will pay for a peg and they'll right. pay for a G button and they'll pay for the pump and all of the enteral nutrition that you can pump into this child. And then some, they'll give you so much that you're going to have cases of it sitting around that you can't get rid of because you have so much of it, mm -hmm. but they will not pay for thickener. 
Right. They will not pay for a specialty bottle. Oh, which, I didn't know about um, the bottle. They won't pay yes. for the bottle. So we have also been sponsored by the amazing and incomparable Dr. Brown's. And I saw so that on your website. I'm looking yes. through here. It says, what products are you requesting? And I was like, Dr. Brown's bottles, really? Yes, they are helping us out with providing specialty feeding bottles for um, our recipients. And, um, you know, because of them, some of the, you know, they're, some of these families can't afford to buy those Dr. Browns and you they're can't just expensive. have one bottle. No, <laughs> so I have a five, I have a five week old and yeah. she is predominantly breastfed. And I still think we have six bottles as backup in our house. Exactly. So, you know, you think about the cost of that add up and looking at our overall, you know, population that we're serving, you know, it's, it's wonderful to have companies like gel mix and Dr. Brown's come on board and we're working on some others. So if you have a pediatric product out there, if you are the maker of maroon spoons, give us a call, <laughs> wink, wink. We give out honey bears and different adaptive cups all the time. Um, so we're not just looking at, um, bottles for the babies, but what can we do to get them eating orally and safely? So sometimes um, that equipment's just not covered by insurance, which is just crazy to me. And, and it just, it, it speaks to the, the inequality and, and the, the gaps in our healthcare system in the, in the United States, where we'll pay for a feeding tube um, three times over instead of paying for a Proval cup and some thickener. It just boggles my mind. Without going into too much detail, looking at like crazy insurance things because of some family stuff, I found out my insurance covers 80% of a cochlear implant, but only $500 total of hearing aids. And you're like, yeah, why? And I, it makes sense now that you say this, that they don't cover any of the dysphagia stuff that we need. So how did you, how did you go about uh, hooking up, I guess, with Dr. Brown's or uh, the, the Simply Thick? So John actually, um, when Teresa actually was the wonderful person who set me up with John and he had a, he had a need where people were reaching out to Simply Thick and saying, Hey, we, we have this product that we don't need anymore. Say my husband passed away because of a stroke or something. And we have this product and we want to give it to someone in need. Who do we give it to? And, you know, Simply Thick was put in the place where they were like, well, we can't take it back. So, I mean, you could send it to us. We'll have to throw it away because their rules Right. Um, so Makes there wasn't sense. anyone for them to send it to. So as soon as I had this idea, Teresa was like, you got to call John. <laughs> so I talked to him <laughs> and he gave me a lot of really great advice on how to move forward in some of the rules and the, the law about, um, giving out, uh, thickener supplies uh, and things like that. Yeah. There's a lot of legal stuff. I wanted to ask you about that in a moment. So remind me if I forget. Yeah. So there's a lot of legal <laughs> ramifications. So we can't give out expired thickener, even though I've asked the lawyers, um, that we hired and probably seven different ways. I'm like, if I say it this way, maybe they'll say yes. <laughs> if I leave it on the back porch and yeah. let someone just pick it up, if it fell yeah. off the truck. But because we're shipping it, we can't do that yet. So there's like rules. <laughs> so apparently it's okay for us to give it to people overseas expired if that country doesn't, you know, Sue you? use enforce laws on that. But we can't give it away in the U.S., um, which oh, really yeah. makes me upset because it's still good. It's just an arbitrary date that the FDA 
create right, space. Of course. Um, so we can't ex give out the expired stuff, but, you know, John was on board with giving us advice um, from pretty much day one. And then Melissa Malone from Parapharmatech has been tremendous with um, like, oh gosh, you guys only have Simply Think. What about our babies? We need, you, you guys need to be able to help the babies. And so they have been extremely generous. I mean, they have given us thousands and thousands of dollars worth of thickener. So fun, another fun fact is that we have been donated 10,956 items. Wow. And we have given away 8,369. Wow, that's awesome. That is a so, cool number to know. It is pretty fun when you think of it that way. And, you know, that number is just going to grow. And so we have a, a company that's given us a warehouse in Cincinnati. So we actually have a warehouse space now. What? I can come and pick it up for you. I am I am in Cincinnati. Oh, my gosh. I'll yeah. have to hook you up with Michelle Kafaro, our vice president of operations. Or the next time in you come Cincinnati. in to check out your factory or your warehouse yes. space, we will head down to the bourbon trail that's just a few miles south of here. I, You know what? I, I'm booking my <laughs> ticket right now. No, I would actually, <laughs> honestly, I would be really cool to like just introduce myself and meet. That would be awesome while we're down here. Absolutely. Um, so you had mentioned that like there are certain laws that you can't give away like expired stuff. How do you guys ensure... And if you don't want to go too much into detail, that's okay. But like, I think I'm a pretty clean person. I think I take good care of my, my stuff and as a, as a therapist. And if I've got extra stuff I want to send your way, how do you know, or how do I ensure as a therapist that my stuff is going to meet the standards that you guys need it to meet? Or, or what are some of the standards you guys look for? So it's, it is on our website. Um, so all of our products that are sent to us have to be unopened and unaltered. So um, unopened, like especially the food products obviously have to be completely unopened. Mm -hmm. They have to be sealed in their original packaging. So we do require that for things like Proval cups, we have had um, people donate, um, you know, things like honey bears, obviously for honey bears, we, we take out the straws because most of the time the kids chew on the, right. the straws they, anyway. So, but out. you know, there are things that are like maroon spoons we could do. We put them through our own sterilization and, and cleaning process. We assume everything that comes with us is, comes to us like that's reusable excuse me, we, we assume that it's dirty and then we clean it ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, if it's something that, you know, has obviously been chewed on or beat up or anything, we just have to dispose of. We're not going to be, you know, sending that out. We haven't really had that problem. It hasn't been an issue. So we've had um, people, we have an Amazon wish list. So most of the products, I would say probably 99.9% .9 of the products that we, and items that we've received have been brand spanking new in the package. That's wonderful. Most of our thickeners have come from the manufacturers directly or from their like in the, the box unsealed in the box, oh, cool. um, brand new. So we have had, you know, instances, unfortunately, where a family member passed away and they heard about our organization and they sent us a bunch of the product that they had. Um, but again, unopened, unaltered, <laughs> untampered with, if it looks even suspicious, we're going to toss it out. So, that's um, that's, that's generally how we do it, but, um, yeah, we, it hasn't been a problem. And full disclosure, we're recording this uh, a couple of days before Halloween. This is going to be airing uh, a, a week or so before uh, Thanksgiving. And December is Giving Tuesday. 
Yes. What are you guys doing for for Giving Tuesday since we're talking about donations? And I know you guys are trying to do something big this year. Oh my gosh. So we are having the biggest giveaway and fundraiser event of our um, short existence. So we're calling it the giving event. So you give to us, we give back to you. We give to our recipients. There's giving all around and everybody's just giving and it's happy. So especially after having a case of the 2020s, I think that it's going to be just a much needed sort of celebration of how far we've come, um, not just as an organization, but also, y'all, we're so close to almost being done with 2020. <laughs> we're, we have like 45 days left. Like Yes, we're like so close. So, we're speaking well, from the past, so we have no idea what's happened between now and Thanksgiving, but we're assuming things have gotten better. If you're hearing this, you survived. <laughs> I'm hoping. That would be weird if we were like coming across the there other is side. Somebody, there is somebody in 2025 listening to this on some old beat up iPad and they're like, oh man, they don't even know what's coming. <laughs> so I apologize. Oh, so, so it's called the big giving. It's called the giving event. Oh, the yes, giving the event. Giving event. Yes. And so what our goal is, is our goal is to raise $5,000 because each one of these shipments, each one of these packages that we send out, um, we're, we're lucky enough to have the product sent to us free of charge, but it costs us to ship it. And right. so I am all about that flat rate shipping. If it fits, it ships. I will stuff things in, duct tape it to get it closed, to save a few bucks um, because we want to be really good stewards of the money that is donated to us, which is why everyone's volunteer in this organization. So our goal is $5,000 to help us with paying for shipping and, and other operational expenses um, for the year, which are the operational side of things. So it's very low now that we've I've asked the lawyer seven ways um, how to give away expired thickener. So uh, I think I've run out of different ways to ask them. So we should be good on that for now. But um, for every $5 donated to the Dysphagia Outreach Project on our website, you go to dysphagiaoutreach.org. For every $5 that's donated, your name goes into the hat one time. And we are giving away huge prizes. So we've had, again, our sponsors, the community, the SLP community is just astounds me with their generosity. So AMP Care is giving us two course scholarships. So we have two separate oh, wow. course scholarships for AMP Care, which is advanced CEUs, super excited. We have, um, Teresa gave us a full year of the MedSLP Collective. We have um, Jenna Castro-Casbin from the Independent Clinician. We have an iPad, an iPad. The Texas Mobile Fees Association gave us an iPad. I'm like, holy cow. Um, we have Tactus Therapy came on. We have, um, oh gosh, shout out to, to Will. We have some hard to swallow um, swag out there, <laughs> some stickers like the OG hard to swallow stickers that you can't get anymore. Um, we have all kinds of different, and, and the, the, the donations are still coming in of, of things for us to give away. So if you say you, you give us $25, that puts your name in the hat five times. And let's say that first night we draw your name and you win something. Well, guess what? You still have four more entries. We're not going to take you out. So there's a lot of opportunities um, for everyone to win things and kind of get a little, maybe a, a early Christmas gift to yourself, <laughs> or maybe you could re-gift it to someone else. I wouldn't, I would be like, this is my iPad. Um, <laughs> you can't have it. This is mama's iPad. Yeah, I'm going to be using it for therapy because that's what we do. 
<laughs> no, I would be like, I'm actually not going to use this one for therapy. I get to Netflix. I don't want anyone to touch this one but me. So, yeah, you know, and and I, you know, as we collect more items, we're going to be giving away multiple things every night. It's going to be this huge event. We're going to be talking about um, the Disphage Outreach Project. You'll get to meet our wonderful board members and our volunteers and kind of hear about um some of the personal stories from some of our recipients and all of that. So I encourage everyone to come in, donate a few bucks and throw your name in the hat to win some really awesome prizes. And then you get this like feel like these endorphins. So there's, I actually do, I'm the a researcher. giving endorphins. I know, I'm, I'm like this research nerd, right? So I, I read Mendeley articles on my Mendeley app as I go to bed. And um, there's actually a large body of research about, um, charitable giving and the the biochemical response that happens when you engage in charitable charitable giving so if you're having a little seasonal depression or anxiety because 2020 has been a train wreck yeah. you know what donating to the dysphagia outreach project will help you feel better it will release some endorphins so so i'm not like telling you to do it to save your your mental health but i'm just saying now, are, when you say that you're going to, I hear you hundred percent and we will, I, I'll throw a link also into uh, the Facebook group that we run besides the speech science one, we run the SLPs helping SLPs emergency Facebook page, Oh yes, yes. Um, which was designed kind of not in the same vein that you were doing, but more the idea of, oh, there's an SLP that her classroom was destroyed by a hurricane who's got some testing protocols they can send their way. Yes, so we'll definitely throw yes. a link in there. How you said you're, you're going to have people like meet some of the board and, and do stuff like that. Are you guys doing like Facebook lives or what yes. are you guys going to be doing? Okay. You're going to be all over Facebook, all over Instagram. We're going to be, you're going to be like, Oh my gosh, dysphagia outreach projects up again, but it's going to be exciting because we're going to be giving away things. So awesome. it's going to be like, um, I hate to say telethon. Cause then I think of like, you know, old school telethons. I used and, to work in radio and I used to do the children's miracle network telethons. Oh my gosh. So I'm totally, I might have to find an old school phone with the rotary dial <laughs> so that I can just have it and be like, Oh, we got another $25 from PayPal. <laughs> from unknown user. All right. Well, that's helpful. <laughs> I guess. Okay. You're yes. not entered. <laughs> and set my, my cell phone to like make a three right. sound, the ringing well, sound. I want you to know that if you need it, you can always use our YouTube channel. So Fantastic. you're more than welcome to steal that channel and take it over for a day. Oh my gosh. Two. We would love to take over everyone's um, social media. Yeah, do it. I don't, I'll make you an administrator for a day. That is a day less of posts I've got to handle. Um, but that, the, the, it, I'm going to mess it up again. Is the giving of it? The giving event. You I got it right. It. Ding, ding, ding. Hey, where's my stickers? Uh, I, I saw your stickers on here, by the way. I was looking on your, yes. um, oh, what's the I website? I have some right called? here. SLPstuff.com. And I oh, need to know. stickers. <laughs> I need to know. Totally not related to the Dysphagia Outreach pro uh, Project. Well, I, I do donate a, a portion of every sale to the Dysphagia Outreach Project. So it is, it is. I have, I have a few related. suggestions. I have a few suggestions. Uh -oh. Okay. One, there's no home health SLP sticker. <laughs> I thought I had one on there. Okay. Uh -uh. Done. There's no uh male SLP sticker. Done. We are four per we are almost four percent. <laughs> done. Done and done. Done and done. Um, I also need to add um LGBTQIA plus. Yes. 
So that's one that I've been meaning to do. I've been very busy and haven't had, I've been filling orders and not creating new things. So I need to get out there and like play with it. Yeah. I have a couple of fun questions for you. And they, yes. I think they're fun. You may not think they're fun at the end of an interview. Uh-oh. How are you doing this? How do you, so I'm looking at, you know, on the, our team and I, and you got you and it's got Michelle and Jessica and Caitlin and Allison and can continue on, but it mentions just mentions that you own your own fees company. You run slpstuff.com. You do the dysphagia outreach project. And I just started a new CEU company. Yeah, the new CEU (laughs) company. Evolutionary Education Solutions. And I teach at uh, University of Louisiana. Well, I'm adjunct clinical supervisor at University of Louisiana at Monroe. And I'm on the board for the Louisiana Speech Language Hearing Association. And occasionally I sleep. See, like I, I, I'm on the Ohio Speech and Language Association and I had to step down. I'm stepping down at the end of my term because I'm running out of free time. How are you not just doing this, but doing this well? Like, what is that key? Like, I listened to James Corden in an interview, you know, late night with James Corden. And he says he sits in his car, does all of his emails, drops his phone in his car and doesn't check his phone until he leaves the next day. How are you balancing? Because you can't just, or can you just leave it all at the door when you come home? No, I think, you know, a lot of it has to do with my personality style. So I am um, sort of, I've been called a generator personality. So like the energizer bunny, like go, 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 go until I literally run out of gas and then it's ugly and there's tears involved and it's usually a nervous (laughs) breakdown. And then I like collapse for a weekend and basically refuel. And then I'm like, whoa, I can do all the things again. (laughs) So I, I have this like weird, you know, my doctor calls it ADHD. I call it this like unlimited enthusiasm. You know, we, we have a disagreement there, but I, I, I think that, um, you know, honestly, I just, I have this passion and, and I used to not always feel this way. I used to not always have this energy. And I think what, what changed for me was going from being employed to being self-employed and changing my mindset from I'm doing this to build other people's dreams to I'm doing this to build my own dreams. And I think for me, I have never worked harder in my life than I have as my own boss. And I would never ask anyone to work as hard as I do, you know, doing it. I would, I would have like given some serious side eye at any employer who'd ever (laughs) asked me to put in these kinds of hours, but yeah, it's, it's a lot of hours and it's a lot of work, but I think I'm incredibly, incredibly lucky to a have uh, for the dysphagia outreach project a huge board that's continually growing we have a a huge volunteer team Um, I think we have 261 people uh, in our Facebook group for volunteering and 153 of them have registered as like a higher level volunteer and we have the 12 directors we have all of these different um, people on that that helps to to manage that and they also tell me when I've taken on too much um, and ground me from taking on new projects periodically. But, um, you know, I also have a family that really understands that this, 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 this is all passionate. I'm very passionate about it. And this is all very important to me. And so, you know, when I'm, when I'm out here having late meetings, talking to people like you, then, (laughs) you know, my husband is incredibly understanding and he understands that, you know, this, this nonprofit is, you know, a passion project. And it's so important for me to, to let 
you guys who are listening know about it. So I think a lot of it has to do with just sort of the motive, that self-motivation we talked about earlier Mm -hmm. just keeps me moving one foot in front of the other. The other thing I've learned is how to be organized and actually like focus and get things done um, and then kind of move on. So I, I use the do, delete, delegate, or do philosophy quite a bit. I've gotten better at the de- delegate part. <laughs> at first, I wasn't so good at it, getting better at it. And, you know, I, I literally, Google Calendar runs my life. Right. If I, my phone just died and I had to, I had to go like, that. oh my gosh, it was a, it was funny. I had to go like a half a day without a phone. And I was like a mole coming out into the sunlight going like, what do I, where do I go? What am I supposed to do? Like, I don't even have any to-do lists. How am I going to function? And, and then at, later that night, <laughs> I got my to-do list back up on my phone. I was like, oh, everything's okay. <laughs> it's not the end of the world. I have my email. I have my calendar. I have my to-do list. All right, I can function. And so, so yeah, that's, that's, that's basically the short version is how I do it is I just, I stack things like Tetris. My calendar is like Tetris any given day. And and I think that a lot of my days, like, I can't even comment or make a joke because like (laughs) I do the schools, I work in home care. I have three kids. I coach, sit on the state board or association. Do the of the current ASHA seal until like March? Yeah, you doing like, the podcast. I get in, it. Absolutely, and you know, if you have I was to, hoping you were going to have some magic, like no, you extended the day to thirty six hours, and I was gonna I like, wish. oh, let me know how to do that. I wish, I wish I had like some sort of magic time machine that would give me more hours in the day. Um, what ends up ultimately happening is, you know, sometimes when I have, uh, you know, a lot of orders for SLP stuff, and then I have, you know things to write and other projects to work on, you know, I, I will take out of the sleep column and put into the get stuff done column. And it's not a healthy thing (laughs) and I don't recommend it for everyone. So it, it just works for my personality. My personality allows it. And, you know, I, I'm also the kind of person that I have to have change Mm -hmm. in my day. I can't like I've, I've done day-to-day therapy and it makes me want to stab people. Like I'm really, I'm not, I'm I'm not one of those people that can sit there and do Arctic drill all day. Cause I will, I will like, yeah, they'll have to like take me away in a white coat. Oh, you're my therapy soulmate (laughs) right now. Like there's a reason I do a podcast is because I can't just do therapy. 24 seven. And I love doing therapy. I just, it has to, I have to break it up. I have. So for me, my typical day involves working maybe three to five jobs. So, you know, I may wake up in the morning and run out to my SLP stuff workshop and crank out an order and then, you know, drop it off on the post office after I drop my kid off to school. And then I go to my office office and do some nonprofit work. And then I go do a fees and then I go to the university. (laughs) And that's not an unusual day for me. And for some people that would be like, ah, for me, that's like, oh, this is a nice, wonderful day. (laughs) <laughs> so I've always said this, and I know we're getting off topic, but uh, I was a theater person. I have a theater minor. Um, uh, I never felt more on top of things until I was in theater productions. Mm-hmm. Because you have to, if you've got so many things on your plate, 
you have to organize to get them done or they just pile up and then everyone looks at you and goes, hey, when are you, you know, in your case, when are you going to ship that thing out to, to Joe in Wyoming? When are you going to get your presentation ready? Hey, you've got students over here that need this done that, I don't know, I've always found that, that I've done better uh, under stress. However, yeah. here's my, here's a, here's a, a fun ending question for you. So looking back a year and a half, almost two years, you get a chance to talk to young Hillary who is sitting in uh, Swallow Your Pride, Teresa Richards' group, friend of the show, Teresa Richard. I love Teresa. What would you tell Hillary two years ago, or, you know, whatever, that you wish you would have known? And what do you think people need to know if they're looking at doing something that feels so monumental, so absurdly abstract, so big that they can't even grip their mind around it because honestly this feels like that the the dysphagia outreach project feels like such a huge undertaking a national organization to donate or to take in donations and to ship it out i mean you're in louisiana your warehouse is evidently here in cincinnati so if it It gets robbed it was not me the same (laughs) but like but in reality like it's a huge project and one you need to commend yourself and your team because that is so awesome you know i i always say i didn't do it they did it (laughs) they made it happen i just had the vision and bossed them around a little bit but they they uh, they're amazing take some credit you 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 are you're awesome for for even spearheading this but what do you wish you could have told yourself two years ago because maybe there's somebody listening to the show right now that has this wonderful idea so what do you wish you would have known or you know what i mean yeah so (laughs) i I do this all the time (laughs) so i think honestly there's there's things that were said to me that that helped me get over my fear and um one of the the sayings that I love, and I've seen multiple people have, um, you know, even like put on their walls, it's probably going to be my next tattoo is the, the, um, but what if I fail? Oh, mm. but what if you fly? Yeah. Right. So it's, it's that, that whole concept of, okay, so if you don't try, then you don't have the opportunity to fail or fly. So, you know, just sometimes just getting out there and doing something, taking those first steps is the hardest and, and taking that leap of faith. And sometimes, you know, I've started several businesses now and each one is a leap of faith because any, you know, statistically any business can go down and, um, 2020 has been a hard year. (laughs) It has for everyone. Um, and so I think for every, every, whether it's, you know, a project for your um, company or your, your employer or a personal project, I think that if it's something big and that if your heart feels that fire to do it, then take that first step and it's okay to fail. And if you, if you move towards success, success should come. So I, you know, I think that's kind of, that's what I would have told myself. I would have said, don't be afraid to mess up because I think that's like our biggest fear sometimes it's like what if I mess up what if I'm not good enough what if I'm not big enough like I I had to get out of my own way um and stop thinking those thoughts and start thinking of 
okay, well, how awesome, instead of thinking I'm not big enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not the person who needs to, I don't have the skills for this. I had to really start thinking, okay, well, I don't have the skills yet. I love it. Yet. <laughs> but you have the motivation. <laughs> yes. And, and even small things like has made a difference. Um, changing the wording, I say, instead of saying something like, I, I don't have the time, I say things like, I don't, I haven't made the time. There's a big difference mm -hmm, between mm -hmm. I don't have the time and I haven't made the time. Mm -hmm. And just little, I think it's been just a whole series of very small mindset shifts that as I started doing things and they worked, I was like, oh, okay, maybe I'll try something else. <laughs> That's a and dangerous so, road, my friend. It is. It is. It's like some people get tattoos and piercings. I get LLCs. You know, it's <laughs> it's a thing. Uh, apparently, I'm not allowed to have any more, but I just started a new one, so I don't know how that's working. Who so. was like, this was a conversation we were having. Oh, it was on social media years ago, and by years ago, I mean like two or three years ago. And Teresa Richards was part of it, but we were just talking about like buying websites that are closely related. Oh my gosh, don't even talk right? to me. I have For like your... 60. Yeah. Oh, I'm not that far yet. Like, <laughs> but I've got like madhot.com, matthewhot.com, seatscience.org, seatsciencepodcast.com. Like... I bought a few just as jokes. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I, I have like... a few that I'm sitting on and I'm waiting for that moment when, when yeah. I have like, when we've grown to the point where we have like a web developer so that I can have them like make a little fake website real quick, just as That's like a cool. slow burn. Yeah. And like, I bought this website in 2018 and it's, still working. <laughs> and it's 2032 and I finally got it made. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I, I do. I buy all the websites, all the domains. I, know, I, I had to stop because I was like, oh, I'm buying this for no reason. I own cincybowling.com because oh my gosh, that's I did awesome. a bowling podcast for three episodes. Well, I, you know, what's which wonderful was three is more than I when, thought anyone would listen to. When I started um, the CEU company with Jessica Lasky and we were trying to think of what we wanted to name it, the first thing we did is like, oh, let's go shopping in Hillary's domain names. <laughs> oh yeah, good idea. <laughs> and, and surprisingly, we didn't end up Oh, yeah. Picking one of those, we picked something different, but I had to go um, buy a new one. Yeah, we did. <laughs> we bought a new one. That's what we did. But yeah, I, yeah, that's, it's an, it's a problem. It's a real problem. LLCs and websites. So November 30th, I'm celebrating my birthday by giving you guys something on the big, don't, what's it called? Giving Donation, event. The giving event. <laughs> because it's Giving Tuesday on December 1st, right? Uh huh. So, so there's that. It's dysphagiaoutreach.com. That org. Dot org. I'm, I'm literally reading it. It is dysphagiaoutreach.org. I'll yep. edit out the dot com. No, I won't. It'll still be. No, yeah, just keep it. Um, it's okay I, to make mistakes, Matt. It's okay. I love it. I love you it. You learn from those mistakes and you move on. Angie Merced would love that, by the way. The SLP <laughs> burnout coach. Uh, she yes, would, she would say that is a cathartic or a, a good thing. Yes. How else can they get a hold of you, Miss Hillary? So you can, if you want to see what I'm up to, you can go to hillarycooperslp.com. Uh, it kind of has a growing list of all of my various ventures, um, where I've been at, and conferences. And I need to update it because I've got new things to put on there. Um, hillarycooperslp.com. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. A um, little bit everywhere, but yeah, go to dysphagiaoutreach.org. Um, we encourage you to, to sign up, not just to donate products or donate money, 
but time is money. So if you have, if you're feeling called to help us out with donating your time and energy to this project, then go to our donate uh, volunteer page and um, we'd love to have you on the team. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Hillary. Thank you for having me. It's been a fun, it's been a blast. And now for our regular research review, brought to you by the Informed SLP. The Informed SLP releases a monthly newsletter that brings you plain language reviews of only the newest, most clinically applicable research, keeping you up to date on advances in the field and saving you tons of time. So let's get to it. This is a review of a couple of different studies. The first one is entitled Dysphagia and Dysarthria in Children with Neuromuscular Diseases, a prevalence study from the Journal of Neuromuscular Diseases. Oromotor dysfunction in minimally verbal children with cerebral palsy, characteristics and associated factors from the journal Disability and Rehabilitation. Comparison of oropharyngeal dysphagia in Brazilian children with prenatal exposure to Zika virus with and without microcephaly from the journal Dysphagia. And finally, short-term effects of the myofunctional appliance on atypical swallowing and lip strength, a prospective study from the Journal of Clinical Medicine. Halloween is coming, and that means it's time for a review of one of the spookiest topics in our field, oral motor disorders. So what's new in motor speech? If you think pediatric motor speech disorders equal childhood apraxia of speech, think again. Dysarthria is present in about half of all children with cerebral palsy, as well as being prevalent in pediatric stroke and Down syndrome. This month, a new paper demonstrates that dysarthria is also present in 30% of children with pediatric neuromuscular diseases, like spinal muscular atrophy and Duchenne muscular dystrophy. How about motor feeding? In the world of dysphagia, we learned that, according to Ku Van S and colleagues, 47.2% of children with neuromuscular diseases present with dysphagia. Phasia? We had a professor who would say it both ways in grad school, and then it became a joke, and anyways, here I am 10 years later going dysphagia, dysphagia. Okay, back on track. 90% of the children with dysphagia had issues chewing, 43% had issues swallowing, and a third had problems both chewing and swallowing. In children with prenatal Zika exposure, the prevalence of dysphagia is as high as 80% if microcephaly is present, according to Olviera and colleagues. Typically, features included a history of aspiration and tube feeding, orofacial hypotonia, and difficulties with chewing, oral transit, and swallowing. Are motor speech and motor feeding really separate in these kids? Good question. May and colleagues took a step back, and rather than looking at speech or feeding functions separately, they looked more broadly at oral motor abilities in minimally verbal children with cerebral palsy. Here are some of their findings. One, poorer non-speech oral motor abilities were closely related to poorer communication skills and mealtimes lasting more than 45 minutes. Two, fine motor function was related to oral motor function, but gross motor function was not. 
three, 100% of the children in this study had oral motor dysfunction, and this spanned across all oral facial structures assessed. Four, poor jaw, lip, and jaw tongue dissociation, i.e. difficulty moving the lips or tongue without also moving the jaw, were noted, which is often a target for intervention in children with oral motor feeding concerns. Number five, abnormal tone in the trunk was thought to be a major contributor to oral motor dysfunction, which reinforces that we need to be very conscious of positioning and postural stability when working on motor speech or motor feeding. In children with specific neuromuscular disorders, unlike children with developmental speech sound disorders, speech and feeding are not separate. Rather, this paper suggests that both arise from underlying oral motor difficulties. So are oral motor exercises back in the cards for these kids? Well, let's take a look at this paper. Again, we link to it online where children used an oral myofunctional device and apparently improved their lip strength and swallowing. We've been burned, metaphorically, by oral devices before. And unfortunately, this new device doesn't look like the answer to our speechy prayers. The paper doesn't tell us whether the children in this study had any functional issues with eating or speech prior to the intervention, like anterior bolus loss or extended mealtimes or whether any improvements in these sort of functions was seen after the intervention. There was also no control group, which makes it hard to attribute changes to the intervention. The state of the science for non-functional oral motor devices and exercises is just not good enough for SLP buy-in at this point. If we're still not using oral motor devices and exercises, what can we use? While we're still waiting on really well-supported interventions for childhood dysarthria and dysphagia, Cochrane reviews here for dysarthria and here for dysphagia, both linked to online, lower levels of evidence and expert consensus suggest that the application of the principles of motor learning and experience-dependent neuroplasticity are where we are most likely to strike gold coin chocolate while trick-or-treating, you know, for Halloween. You remember those principles, right? No, me neither. I had to look them up. Sidebar, the principles of motor learning are ways of practicing that are most likely to lead to successful generalization. One, a large number of trials is better than a small number of trials. Two, distributed practice over a long period of time is better than massed practice over a short period of time. Three, variable practice in different contexts is better than constant practice in the same context. Four, random practice, where targets are mixed up, is better than blocked practice, where one target is practiced for a period, then another target is practiced for a period. Number five, complex practice, e.g. of an entire movement, is better than simple practice, e.g. of one component of a movement. The principles of experience-dependent neuroplasticity tell us what circumstances are most likely to facilitate changes in the brain. One, use it or lose it. Practice prevents deterioration. Two, use it and improve it. Practice makes progress. Three, specificity. What you practice determines what change you'll see in the brain. Four, repetition matters, practice enough. Five, intensity matters, practice intensively enough. Six, time matters. Different types of change happen at different times. 
Seven, salience matters. Use meaningful tasks to drive change. Eight, age matters. The younger the patient, the easier change will be. Nine, transference. Learning one skill can make it easy to learn other, similar skills. 10, interference. Learning a bad habit can interfere with learning a good habit. Whew, that was a lot. Okay, so principles such as complex practice, specificity, and salience suggest that we should use food and drink to improve eating and drinking skills, and speech tasks to improve speech. We also have a range of compensatory and supportive strategies, including AAC for communication, and positioning and bolus modification for feeding. Oral motor problems should not be scary and mysterious. Oral motor problems do occur in children, particularly in children with conditions like cerebral palsy and neuromuscular disease, and can lead to challenges with feeding and speech, or both. Although do remember that around 75% of children with speech difficulties have no motor involvement. Interventions are most likely to be successful when they are derived from scientific evidence, rather than commercial devices and programs that are not necessarily backed by high levels of evidence. Stay curious and rest assured, Trick or TISL peers, that we will deliver any new evidence on motor speech and feeding interventions to you before they can say boo. Wow, that was pretty corny, but also delightfully festive. Thanks for listening to this review. If you're interested in more, come visit us at www.theinformedslp.com. Tell us how you put the research into practice, or find us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at The Informed SLP. Welcome back to Speech and Science. I'm joined by Michael McLeod. What's up, buddy? Are you watching the the football game tonight? Um, I watched earlier today. Uh, I don't. I don't. Who's playing now? I don't even know. Tampa and uh, Drew Brees, New Orleans. Uh, okay, that's a pretty they good have, one. They have they have made my fantasy team in the number one. And Michelle Wintering, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks. Are you in fantasy football this year, Michelle? I'm not. I stepped away from fantasy football this year. <laughs> uh, your Buckeyes played the day though. Um, or yesterday, not today, but yesterday. Last yes. night they played yeah. Rutgers. So yeah, so first couple I'm games. Hoping, I'm, I'm hoping that guy goes to the Giants, the Ohio State quarterback. Oh yeah, that'd be cool. Mm-hmm. There you go. I'm okay with that. Guys, also I forgot to mention before the break on the Dysphagia Outreach Project, uh, they also take donations. So of any stuff that you have, so donate it, and they'll use it before it expires, which is pretty cool. That's awesome. So guys, and or I guess Mike and Michelle. I don't know why I always say guys, y'all. Uh, we are returning That's a to very our new Midwest segment. Ohio thing. The y'all or you no, guys? No, the you guys. Mm-hmm. I know. I feel terrible though. I'm trying yeah. to make the better change. Yep. I think that's going to be my New Year's resolution next. I think y'all is a safer bet, and you're in Cincinnati. You're on the border of Kentucky. You I can know. use it. <laughs> well, my <laughs> wife's family says yins, so I yins. Just, yep. Yins. Pennsylvania. Yep. Oh, <laughs> uh, so. Anywho, we returned the news segment. Uh, these are just where we quickly go through headlines of things that may come up in speech therapy uh, or that you may want to bring up in speech therapy. Uh, it's kind of cool. Coming out of the Daily Herald this week, uh, the title is Constable Wheaton Woman Puts the Able in Fashionable. 
but her name is Molly Farrell. She's an SLP. Uh, she loves fashion. Uh, she also is a woman with a disability. And guess what she does? She tries to make uh, clothing for disabilities and the fashionable side. So hey. Awesome. Second article, who does marathons? I know I want to. Have you guys done any? Running? Are we talking running? Not, not quite ready for that. Well, Matt, are you Florida talking man, running? Running, yeah, yes. I've run one full and five halves. There you go. Whoa. But I want to get back Impressive. to that because that was all pre-having a baby. <laughs> so. you, you got a little bit of time for there. Yeah. But a 21-year-old man in Florida uh, made history as the first person with Down syndrome to compete in the Ironman Triathlon, which is a 2.4-mile oh, swim. Ironman's a whole other level. <laughs> Wait, get this. 2.4-mile swim. 26.2 mile run mm -hmm. and a 112 mile bike ride yeah it has a marathon as one leg of it uh Chris, his name is chris <laughs> wait what is it What'd the you say? running distance oh, that yeah, is the length of a marathon a marathon uh, and they still have to bike Nittick. and swim <laughs> his name is chris nickick uh and he had a guide whose name was daniel grebe that's so. fantastic down That's at awesome. Panama City Beach. I want to say that when I was a lifeguard, I uh, I got my lifeguarding thing because I had to swim like four miles, and I did it doing the backstroke. You had to swim four miles for your lifeguarding? It like, it's like a Boy Scout Lake lifeguard. Oh, gosh. Okay, I'm like, I did not have to swim four miles. I, I just remember I had, to do, I had to do 50 laps. So whatever 50 laps was. Uh, like length laps in the pool? Well, it was lap. It was laps around a lake wow. swimming area. That might yeah. that might be a whole different ballgame. But everyone else did it like on their front. Yeah. And I did it on my back. <laughs> when I did Floating my lifeguarding one, we had to do forward crawl freestyle for a section of it, and then you had a choice for the second half. But you had to do an face in the water stroke. <laughs> Um, but no, Matt, I thought I told you that I ran the, my marathon I ran oh. was in Disney World. Oh, that's right. You yeah. Did tell me that. Yeah. Our third article, we only got one more here. Uh, everyone's favorite Harry Potter slash Batman actor and vampire Robert Pattinson uh, hooked up a 10 year old with autism uh, who's a Batman fan out in Liverpool. He hooked them up with some sweet stuff. It's in the news. He got his own Batmobile. Uh, a couple things signed by Pattinson. Uh, basically, the kid, I'm trying to find his name. They don't give it to me. They just say it's Nicholas' son. Oh, James. His name is James. That's a good name. Uh, drew a picture of Batman and said, I'm sorry I didn't get to meet you. Uh, here it is. And Robert wrote back, said, sorry I missed you as well. Your drawing was great. I'll see you next time. I'm in Liverpool. So, Those are the headlines, y'all. I love the headlines. Those are good ones. Uh, the way we end the show each week is we take a quick look at um, what is happening in Asha and what they are doing that might be good or not so good. And this week we're looking at their Asha 2020 member media champions. And they've got five of them this year, or six of them. Uh, Marissa Berea, Kimberly Creel, Fallon Doss, Luis Rickwellman, and Susan Yaf Ozelman. Uh, they're all have wait hold on why are we not in this <laughs> they all do something in media involvement okay 
I'm just saying, next year we need to campaign for ourselves for this. Get us on there. Because it says one spoke to one spoke to a TV affiliate, and another one has a TV show. We have a podcast. Just saying. Yeah, and the podcast has been around for quite a while now. Four years. Mm-hmm. Are you interested in becoming Ash's next member media champion? Ash's certified members being credibility. Yeah. Reach out to that. Hey, we're going to reach out to their public relations team. <laughs> Let's do it. Oh, and I just clicked on the link and it says the page cannot be found. I can't make this up. All right. What are we doing this week? Tell me something fun that is happening that is not therapy related. <laughs> me? Michelle? My first? Who's I first? don't care. Who wants to go first? Somebody tell me something <laughs> you're doing this week that is not therapy related that you're looking forward to. That's a very good question. Basically, everything is therapy related. <laughs> uh, I would say just get it, trying to do what I can to nail down these Thanksgiving plans and making sure that I'm able to see some mm. family and be safe about it. You know what I mean? That's kind of, kind of trying to think ahead a little bit. Michelle? Hey, I am enjoying as much of this warm weather this week as I can before it gets cold and um, get to see baby on ultrasound this week. So, yay. Ooh, that's so much fun. Mm -hmm. I'm not too far off. We're only I mean, mid-December, so. There you go. Um, for me in the next week, Mike, you're right, trying to figure out what we're doing that is COVID-acceptable Thanksgiving planning and also... Uh, I kicked off my coaching season this year or this week. So over the next week, we should have our first match on the 18th. So I'm not sure if we'll be having a new episode before that hits. So that's what I'm looking forward to. That's awesome. So coaching, it's fun. Right, Michelle? I, yeah, it's, do you know, I think coaching, <laughs> especially high school sports, because I mean, it's only the, the big wig coaches that make a lot of money doing it. Mm -hmm. And I always look at them and think they probably started as a volunteer or a student coach or some assistant coach somewhere. So they started not making <laughs> a lot of money. Right. Um, so I have a lot of respect for coaches because in some ways I used to joke with my fellow volleyball coaches that it's a little bit of a, almost an addiction because the highs are so high and the lows can be so low <laughs> when you're coaching. <laughs> you are, you are, Mike, do you coach anything? Uh, no, I do not. Just Michelle, speech you, pathology and executive exactly. function. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Michelle, you're 100% right. I remember I, I had a team that I thought should win, and we took second or third in this tournament, and I was so depressed on the drive home. It was like a three-and-a-half-hour ride home mm -hmm. where I just, like, sat in my car in the most depressing, sad Pandora station I could find thinking about what I could have done differently. And then the next weekend we won a tournament and I thought I was on cloud nine. I was more happy that the kids did well than I have ever been for any accomplishment that I've ever done. Mm -hmm. Yep. I know that feeling. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Well, we want to make sure that you tell us what you're doing. So head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. Uh, the Discord is up and running, discord.speechsciencepodcast.com. Uh, we got some merch, and we're going to be throwing up some more stuff as we make it. Uh, and so check that out, merchandise.speechsciencepodcast.com. 
Uh, and of course, the hashtag SSPod. Our opening music tonight was Please Listen Carefully. It's by Jazar, licensed under an attribution and share alike license. Our bump music was the County Fair Rock, copyrighted John Deku. Find his music over at soundcloud.com slash dirtdogmusic. And the informed SLP was at the count by Broke for Free. And our closing music is the Slow Burn by Kevin McLeod. They're both licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license. Have you guys seen the Be a Willow shirt on the website? I did not. Ah, we've got a Be a Willow shirt. Does it have a willow tree on it? No, but I could design it too. Should I do that? I would. I would love I that. Would, yeah, yeah, be a willow, that, and it definitely. needs the it needs the willow tree. Mm-hmm. All right, maybe I'll, I'll I'll work on that this week. But I, I would wear it every day. In the immortal words of Janice Wright, always be a willow. The oak looks strong, but it will crack under pressure. The willow will bend and return to form. And for fellow willows, Michael McLeod and Michelle Wintering, I'm Matt Hot. And until next week, so long, everybody. Bye. Bye. Speech Science is edited and produced by MWH Production. Please follow Speech Science on Twitter at SpeechSciencePC and like our page on Facebook. For more original podcasts, please visit ExceptionalEd.com and rate and subscribe to our podcasts anywhere you get your podcasts.